about nine years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, about nine years ago, I had a dream. And in this dream, my dreams are usually kind of seer, very real, realistic dreams. Excuse me. I, I was walking back on my college campus, and uh, I remember walking, I was walking in this dream from where I think I lived like three years in this dorm, and I remember thinking as I walked on this college campus, this is amazing, I can, uh, I can be more effective for God now, I know some more, I've grown more, now I can be a much more effective witness on this campus. And then the dream ended, I think when I got somewhere kind of close to what they call the academic circle, and I understood, I got the, inter someone, I shared it with them, very gifted in dream interpretation, and they said to me, they said, uh, oh, that's, that's really easy. I was like, oh, easy for you, not easy for me. But uh, they said, you are going to constantly revisit subjects in your life, and God is going to, over and over again, give you greater and greater understanding of what they are. And I found that to be true. I found that uh, really Ecclesiastes is absolutely true. There's nothing new under the sun. And I have found that uh, the way, uh, well, let me just, this principle is, is glaring to me over the last number of years that spiritual maturity, fruitfulness, living out the purpose that God called you to live is, is, not, uh, is, is not like uh, going to a casino. It's predictable based upon the choices you make and the decisions you make on how you build your life. Uh, there's sometimes this kind of odd thought. It's sometimes maybe not exactly expressly thought, uh, taught, but sometimes there's like this idea that there's certain like really spiritual people in the earth, and you know they're kind of they're kind of special. I, I I grew up around that a lot of that. It was like you know like like me growing up assembly God, like Jimmy Swagger, he was special, you know. Or T.L. Lowry, those were the special ones, and then the rest of us were just there to go to their meetings and support them through our giving. It wasn't said like that, but it, it kind of came across that way. But I have found walking with God is, is uh, there, there's no accidents. You is what you is today because of the choices that you made. Now, you might have started different in life than, than, you know, a different place, all that other stuff. But here's the good news. Once you come into the kingdom, you is in a new family. And you cannot be a victim anymore. You can never be a victim of your circumstances because, what, the old has passed away and the new has come. And I found with uh, this idea, and we'll, we'll look at some scripture here in a minute, with this idea of revisiting things, there's a simplicity in certain things that God teaches me over and over again, but they also go back to the foundation, and God is constantly trying to make your foundation stronger so your, your life can be built into the fullness and stature that he wants you to be. It, I mean, after, after being, just because you're in, the, I've noticed this too, just because you're, you're, you're born again and even you know, speak in tongues for, you know, 10 years, it doesn't mean you're 10 years mature, it just means you're 10 years born again. So spiritual maturity is determined by the choices you're going to make in your life. And uh, foundations is really, really important because the foundation is the basis or groundwork by which something rests upon. Uh, 
years ago, the Lord started teaching me about this concept of foundations. And I remember uh, asking a contractor, and I just ask questions, and I don't even ask them why. I don't tell them why I'm asking. I'm just looking to hear what they say. You can tell a lot by what somebody really thinks by what they say. No, it's true. And I remember, I asked, I talked to me about foundations. I still remember, unsolicited, he just says to me, oh, I don't mess with foundations. He said, if a foundation is messed up, it has just taken me so long. Anytime I've ever tried to fix it, I just say, let's start again. And then a few weeks ago, I saw another contractor. I said, talk to me about foundations. He used almost the same exact language. He said, I don't mess with foundations. I just start all over again. And here's the interesting about foundations. I remember growing up outside New York City uh, and big skyscrapers. And it's like a picture of our life in Christ. When you come into Christ, this is so, I was meditating on this this morning. Before you were ever born, he made provision for you on this earth. And he accepted you. He made provision to accept you. He made provision for everything you would need. He made provision for all the pairs of underwear you would need. He made provision for all the meals you would have. That's true. Absolutely true. He had a plan for you. He knew you. I don't know how he does it, but he's God. He can do that stuff. I think part of our problem in relating to God is that we live in time and he lives in eternity. And he is for, like, he is eternally existing. <laughs> no, he can do certain things. But he chose you. He picked you. And so a lot of times they would have these pictures of these skyscrapers. This is what this building's going to be. And they're like, we have started construction. You know they do this ceremony a lot of times, companies. And you drive by this construction site, and you're like, this looks like a big hole. I remember uh, about three years ago, I went up, and they just finished it this last uh, fall. Last year be a year now. Uh, my friend tells me in Connecticut, goes, we're building our new building. <laughs> I go, it's just a big hole over there. What are they doing? They're building the foundation. And that foundation is the most important part of that building. They don't build that thing correctly. That structure can be nice, can have all the features. And I think a lot of times in the body of Christ, we're trying to build all the features without building the foundation correctly. And then the features kind of get going, and we wonder why it's falling apart, because the foundation wasn't built correctly. And what's really interesting, really interesting about foundations, it doesn't look like anything's going on, and then when that building is built, you don't see that foundation. But what's on the inside, what's down deep in, is controlling that whole structure. And then, when they finish those foundations, one of the other things I noticed, once that foundation is done, the rest of that structure goes up and about. I remember it would take a year and a half for some of these buildings to build that foundation. And then in like half a year, they'd have that rest of that building up. Foundations. So let's look at some scripture which talks, of us, uh, talks about this concept of building. We use several scriptures. If, I hope you brought your Bibles tonight. I hope you read your Bibles. There are people who died to get that Bible in your hands. What's your problem? <laughs> yeah. 
one last, still true. 1 Peter 2, 5, we'll look at several scriptures, then we'll look at what Jesus said. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Wow, I hear pages tonight. Some of you are old school. <laughs> First Peter actually started in verse 2. This is uh, New King James. Coming to him as a living stone, re- rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now, that's, this is obviously Peter, and now let's look at what Paul says about this. We can look at several, but we'll look at these just uh, for tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. I love this. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now, that's really, really important right there. Uh, pause here for a moment. Saul is going on his way to persecute believers. That's how evil a religious spirit is. Really bad. What's a religious spirit? It's false religion, often that uses scripture to justify what it does. He thinks he's doing right by killing believers. That's how nasty a religious spirit is. I've met those people. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, uh, he's on his way to persecute believers. And on his way, the Holy S- Jesus knocks him down, because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. And he knocks him down, and Jesus speaks to him. Really interesting scenario. And Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? It's really interesting because Jesus is not physically walking on the earth anymore, but Jesus tells Saul, why are you persecuting me? So apparently, if you persecute believers, it's like you're touching Jesus. Now, that's pretty cool, but I left it with a little more thought. I said, oh my gosh. When someone looks at my life, when someone looks at my actions, when someone looks at my words, it should look like Jesus. So where you fail to represent him properly, you cause a void in the world. And I've learned the world is not interested in a Christian subculture. So you are God's field. You're God, according to the grace which was given to me as a, mas, as a master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Catch this right here. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. What you'll see too also in Matthew 7, a principle, a life principle here is everyone in this room is building. But what you got to ask yourself is how is you building? I know it's not good English, but it seems like I've got to talk this way for some of you to get your attention tonight. It's okay. I'll work with you. Let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work. 
So notice there, he connects how you build to the work that you produce. It's not disconnected. Each one's work will be clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, just as a, a biblical principle, which is really important to remember, is all of us individually, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, we will all be judged. There's an individual judgment, and there's also a judgment for nations. So don't let anyone ever tell you nations are not important. This, you know, our allegiance is, yeah, of course our allegiance is to Jesus. But if our allegiance is to Jesus, we should care about our nation. If anyone builds, holds, say, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will touch each one's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So you get judged not on what you did before what he asked you to do. That means if you, and also you'll get judged by the motive by what you did. So even if you did something good, but the motive was wrong, he goes, oh, that gets burned up. Ah, oh, that was really nice that you did that, but you wanted people to see it, so that one gets burned up. Because what you have to understand, in the kingdom of God, the reason he's so, he, he, he is so focused on what's going on the inside of you, because what, uh, what is on the inside of you will eventually define the outside of you. That's why I was thinking about this the other day. Now, I, I don't got it all, but I know this. That's why it says, if you look at a woman with lust, it's like you already did it. Because he's saying, I know if it's in there, you're eventually going to do it. It gets quiet when you say things, but it's still true. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Now let's get to where Jesus speaks here. Matthew 7. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Here's interesting, too. That it's worth noting that the Baptists are not in this verse. And what's also worth noting is that he doesn't tell them that their prophecies or miracles are wrong. He just says, I don't know you. Here's the other deception about it. They actually think they're in relationship with God, and he goes, I have no idea who you is. Verse 24. Now, here, here he goes again. Therefore, whoever hears these saying of mine and does them. That's, that's a key place there. I hope we'll, we'll, we'll continue to pick up this theme. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will be like a foolish man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had, had ended these sayings, the, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I want you to notice in, in both places that uh, he places a premium on what they're hearing and what they're doing. And then the second thing is, you cannot tell how that house is built until a storm comes. So it is the foundation that determines what's going to happen in the middle of the storm. And we know that Jesus taught us in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. God doesn't want you to meet him in crisis. He'll help you in crisis, but he didn't create the crisis. He created you to the crisis to overcome the crisis. Both people are building, but it doesn't become evident until that storm comes of what that foundation is built on. I want to suggest something else, that in America, especially, we have like a, uh, a culture, not all that's bad inside the body of Christ, but you can have the culture, all the right thing, I'm blessed and highly favored, I'm a man of God, I'm this, I'm that, I'm going someplace with somebody, you know, all this stuff. But unless you're building correctly on the inside, all that stuff won't help you if you're not appropriately applying what you're hearing from heaven. So everyone is building, and so the question is, thank you, Pastor Lee, for asking is, how do we build appropriately? I'm glad that you asked. Look at, let's look at Foundations, Genesis chapter 1. And we'll start in the very first verse. I know we're using a lot of scripture, but hey, that's why he gave it. In the very first book of the Bible, we're talking about foundations tonight. In the beginning, or better translation, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop right there. What's the foundation right away? The foundation is this. God is the beginning and the end, and he's the source of all things. also want to point out to you that he's the one who created heaven. God didn't need a place to live, but he creates a place called heaven because that's where he is. According to Psalm 11, that's where he sets up his throne. If you follow the, the original pattern, he puts gold and onyx in that garden. Where else do you have gold and onyx? In heaven. So what's he trying to do? He, you'll see here in a minute, he makes... Man, his ambassador of heaven on earth to extend heaven. That's another principle we just said. First principle is God is the source of all things and God is the creator of all things. Number two, God's intention was never to start a religion but to establish a kingdom. Really, 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 really important. When Jesus ascended and left, he didn't say, I'm giving you Christianity. He said, I bestow upon you, Luke 17, a kingdom. The kingdom that the Father gave me, I'm bestowing it upon you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Second verse of the Bible is also important. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you also find something here, a principle that how God creates in the earth and, he, and, he, and he, he takes what is void, the Holy Spirit is there, but unless something was spoken, it did not create the reality that God intended to create. Three-part being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unseen, according to John 4, God is a spirit, the spirit speaks into the seen realm, and so what is in the unseen realm defines what is in the seen realm. And I always say this, he could have just said, I spoke, but he says it over and over and over and over again. God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. He's trying to tell you something. I 
I have seen this principle operate many times. I remember the first time I was in the Philippines and uh, we're out in the middle of this kind of village and to call it a church would not be accurate. It was kind of like this awning thing, but it was where they met. And the bishop goes, these are my pastors. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, going to raise the dead tonight. And uh, I'm just, I'm a very honest person. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. So uh, I didn't tell him that though. I kept that between me and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I stand up, and right before I stand up, this man goes into this really mean rant about something political. I have no idea what he's talking about. I said, ooh, all right, we're going to have to salvage this tonight. But I said to the Lord, I did not come this far not to do what you told me to do and not to see you move. So I start. And I, I don't remember what I was saying that night, but I was thinking, I think they're dying while I'm talking to them. And and then you hear. I said, Lord, what's going on? He goes, it's going to come. Gives me a word. And it was like lightning bolts went off in this place. The next thing I know, I call the pastors up, and they're all laid out on rocks. Because something needed to be spoken into the atmosphere to shift the atmosphere. They told me that night, the Muslims wanted to throw rocks, but they apparently didn't throw rocks at you because they saw something or with something. Yes, I'm not alone. So certain things in the earth don't happen until it's spoken. Then Genesis uh, 126, key series of verses here. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, let them, that's a key verse. Notice he doesn't say let us. He says let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle. And then he reemphasizes his point, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth. So notice Genesis 1, God's in heaven and he's leaving a man and a woman on the earth. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. So here's another characteristic of the kingdom that God desires to establish on the earth. It's a family. Why do you see, obviously, the, the, especially in America now, it's become a, a, a big thing. You know, like, you know, genders, you know, I just choose. I'm a man today and I'm a woman tomorrow. And, you know, we laugh, but we know there's something seriously wrong for something we think. Even unbelievers are like, yeah, something wrong there, you know. <laughs> he desires a family, but once you break the roles and the identity that God gave people, you, you, you destroy the very fabric of how a nation is built. I think, what, at least 80% of... Uh, Men, young men, ma males in prison, don't know who their dad was, never met their dad. That'll tell you something. So then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So now, here's something interesting. We start with that first principle here that God establishes in how he intended to relate to man. God's the source of all things. He puts a man and then a woman eventually on the earth. He puts them on the earth and he puts them on the earth as their ambassador. Really key thing about ambassadors is 
ambassadors are sent from an from a ascending government, and their job is to represent the country for which that has sent them, and an ambassador never gives their opinion. Very, very important. If you talk to an ambassador, you know, what's your country's position on same-sex marriage? They don't go, well, I think. They go, the position of my nation, if they're operating correctly, is this. They never give their opinion. So sometimes people, you know, like what, this is the big thing now. You, especially unbelievable. What do you think, you know, I know it's coming. Anytime you're flying, well, you're, oh, you're in ministry. Oh, yeah. What do you think about gay people and how much money you make? That's what they want to know, you know. Yeah. So, and and I, I just, I, I, I don't have any issue. I said, I said, listen, I don't write the rules. This is what the Bible teaches. Can't rewrite the book. He's a pretty good manufacturer. I don't argue with him. So he sends man as ambassador, but he did not create man to be independent of him. Everything that Adam needed was either on the earth or he could find into God, and he was created to find his greatest satisfaction in God. Now think about this. He puts him on a perfect earth, gold, beautiful, fruit, everything he needs, and that was just to be the beginning. That's a good God. I think even today, I don't know how many thousands of eggs women have. You know why? Because he wanted them to be fruitful and multiply because they weren't supposed to have any pain when they had children. It was supposed to be, oh, this is, oh, you got another kid. Here we go. Have 20. <laughs> because they weren't American and wondering how they were going to pay the bill. God paid the bill. It didn't, pay, didn't, didn't have any pain, so just keep going, you know. Adam thought it was a great idea. We laugh because we can't identify with how God originally intended to be. He creates man in his image, and here's another thing. The key verse, the reason I emphasize this was, let them and over all the earth. So he makes man to be his ambassador in the earth, but he also makes him to have complete trust in God for everything he needs. Why does he teach us in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him? Because he defined the terms of the relationship there. He's saying, I'm giving you dominion. It's yours. And I've given you everything you need to fulfill dominion. However, you're going to have to trust me to receive everything you need. That's why the, 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 the foundation between God and man was trust, which we know as faith. You, Adam, and what's the other thing he heard? The first voice he ever hears in that garden is the voice of God. He had to have trust. The very same words that created the world, Adam had to put his in trust to understand. Adam and Eve were created, and all of us were created, to receive knowledge from two different areas. One, Sensory knowledge. What is sensory knowledge? The five senses. Well, the five senses, I always got to write down. Sight. When, when Adam sees Eve, he goes, that's a fine woman. When he saw the grass, he saw it as green. He wasn't, you know, do your truth. He goes, that's blue. The sky is blue. When he, when he heard, he heard the voice of God. He touched. He could touch the tree. He could smell. He could taste. 
all this was given by God. God gave the five senses, but the five senses were limited in giving him understanding of the world. It's only till God speaks, he gives him the second form of knowledge he's supposed to be, revelation knowledge. Adam could not figure out why he was there unless God told him. And then the second thing that happened is revelation knowledge was always supposed to trump sensory knowledge. What's the revelation knowledge? By the way, I'm putting a tree in there. You can eat of everything. Don't touch that tree. How do they know not to touch that tree? Because God told them. Don't touch that tree. My personal opinion of that tree is that tree represented God's faithfulness to them. And that through generation after generation after generation, that tree would grow and be beautiful and just keep growing. And every time they, they, when, you, when you would raise your kids, why can't we eat from that tree? Well, that's a sign that God takes care of us. That's a sign that God is the one who created us and God's the one who created the universe and he's the source of all things and you don't touch God's stuff. I think it was a tithe. Sensory knowledge is needed. When you leave here today, please look at both ways before you get onto the road. If you don't, you're going to get run over. You can pray in tongues all you want and think God told you. And in my opinion, I mean, you could, you, I mean, there are other pastors here, you could have different opinions. There's certain things you don't need to pray about. <laughs> like, you know, like, how many times have you sat with someone? I love him. He doesn't have a job. He lives with his mom. You don't need to pray about that. <laughs> Sensory knowledge. If you want to marry, if, if he wants to marry his mom, he'll marry you. Anyway, so, but revelation, but sensory knowledge is needed. There's certain things we have to, we, we can discern by the senses. Revelation and sensory knowledge actually are meant to work together. Hebrews tells us that. He said, when your senses are trained, you can discern both good and evil. Those are the book writer of Hebrews. So we'll watch how this plays out in Genesis, the third chapter. Look at Genesis 3. Verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field. The Lord God made, and he said, to, uh, the, the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of, garden, of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's really fascinating here is he is tempting her with something that God has already given them. They were already like God. They were made in the image of God. Every person that ever exists in the world is given an aspect of the personality of God, made in the image of God. He's going, you could be like God. We're already like God. He's offering something to them that they already have. 
Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew, they, if you're from the north, you say naked, if you're from the south, you say naked, and they sewed a fig leaf together and made themselves covered. Now, I want you to notice that she looks, he entices her, because the, the enemy will often entice you with things of the soul. He is not a spirit devil. He is a soulish devil, and he can only entice you through the realm of the soul. And once sensory, once, uh, sensory knowledge overrides revelation knowledge, that's often where you'll find your challenge. So we know the world shifts forever. DNA of man is now corrupt, but now notice the principle here, though, that God establishes. The man and woman who were created to tend the world because of their corruption, now the earth that they're called to have dominion over is also corrupted. That's why a big deal is getting to the hearts of men. Really big deal. That's why uh, one of the places that God has really opened to me is uh, the former Soviet, uh, uh, so Soviet uh, when it was the USSR. Been to Latvia, been to Estonia, been to different places. And what you find out is that though communism fell, I think in uh, 80, 91, 91 was Germany, 89, when the Soviet Union fell, Mikhail Borchoff, the little you know, thing on the head, <laughs> when the Soviet Union fell, even though communism fell, the mindset did not fall. So you still had corrupt people implementing corrupt systems that even though now it's quote-unquote free, you still have great oppression in society. So the earth is corrupted, DNA of man is corrupted, we're all affected by it. And that very foundational thing that the trust between God and man was now severed. Now I love this because God comes looking for them on their worst day. That's the heart of God. That is an essential part of the gospel message people need to hear. On your worst day, God is there to help. I've been divorced six times. I know God can help you with that. I've had this addiction for years. God can help you with that. I'm totally disenfranchised from my kids because it's my fault. God can help you with that. Tormented in my mind, God can help you with that. I've had this disease for all this time. God can help you with that. That is the message that the world needs to hear. But it also needs a demonstration of that. It needs people who can show what God can do for someone. That is severed but God is still after man. Obviously, we have the Old Testament principle. God makes covenant with the nation, which I believe he still has, the nation of Israel. Psalm 89, 34, my covenant will I not uh, break, but alter the thi nor alter the thing that comes out of my lips. And we know that Jesus comes, and he comes again to restore this idea of the kingdom. First message he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He comes with this kingdom, but he also 
came to restore that foundational trust between God and man so that man could receive everything that God intended for him to receive. We know that the way into the kingdom is, again, this thing called faith, and Jesus talks about the very nature of faith. Look at Mark, the 11th chapter. And this is where it gets a lot of fun. Verse 12, now on the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from, uh, and seeing a, uh, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of the figs. In response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. I just point out that notice that Jesus spoke words to things in the earth, and those words obeyed what he said. Now, there's a minor little story there about Jesus overturning the temple. It's very minor. Verse 20, we pick up the story. In the morning as I passed by, the fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. Now, I want you to notice, and you will see, again, a theme connected. God will constantly connect what someone is trusting in him from and also what is coming out of their mouth. If you believe something, you will say it. And Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Now, the best translation of that, I... I, I, looked at this for years, but the best translator, actually a, 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 a leading Greek scholar in this area, says the best translation of that is, have God's faith. Have God's faith. Have God's faith. Now that is a starting revelation about who God is. God is love, but he has faith. And then he says, you can have my faith. That's really good news. You can have God's faith. What is God's faith? Faith is God's enduring confidence that when he decides to do something, like we see in creation, that when they decide to do something and they're all on the same page, they're like, oh, we're going to create the world. So let's speak. And when we speak, everything we say is going to happen. When the Godhead decides it's going to do something and move in faith, they're not like, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. They know that what they said is going to happen. And then he says, this enduring confidence, according to Romans 4, well, it's just turn. This is what God does. I like this. Romans, the fourth chapter. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to all those of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Notice he calls Abraham your father. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life, this is God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as though they did. Where do you see that? In creation. In creation, you find an example of God's faith in operation. And this faith 
that calls things be not as though they are, he gives to every person to respond to the gospel message, but also to live in this life. That's really good news. Another great verse, Hebrews 12. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So what does that mean? Faith originates with God and is given to everyone as a gift. You cannot earn faith. You can't work it up. You can't try and be it. You, but you can receive it as a gift. Faith is a gift that you must receive as a gift. Now, here's the other great part about faith. Faith is a gift that you must receive. And then, what am I trying to say here? Faith is a gift that you can only receive through complete surrender. Here's the thing, too, about it's really important here to differentiate, too, what the difference between believing something is true and having faith in that it's true. There's a distinct difference, especially in our culture, because there's a lot of people who will tell you, oh, yeah, I I believe Jesus walked the earth, I believe he did miracles, I'm... And it's kind of like Jesus and I are cool. But there's a difference between believing something is true and putting your faith that it's true. Faith always has a demonstration in your behavior. And here's the thing I've learned about God. He does not negotiate. I have a really smart friend. He's like really smart, PhD, MBA. Sometimes he's like 15 minutes into a conversation. He goes, do you understand what I'm saying? I said, I understood the first three minutes. Can you rewind? It's good to have smart friends. He was in college years ago, grew up Catholic. And... He had these guys tell him the plan of salvation. And he always thought, anyone who believes that Jesus stuff has got to be really stupid. You ever, you ever notice, too, in communist countries, they're like, the Bible's fantasy, but they outlaw the Bible. It's fantasy. Why don't you let me live my fantasy world? I'm not going to bother you. They know it's true. Deep down, every man knows. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So they tell him one day, that's why you need to open your mouth. It's like a woodpecker. It goes in there like a seed. You know that. No, he is. This guy's an evangelist right here. So they tell him the plan of salvation. Jesus died for you. You can have everlasting life. And he told me, I was sitting on my, my, my bed that night, and he says, I told the Lord, I said, I think this is, he starts working on the inside of you. I think this is true, but I don't want to be stupid. And God says, no deal. He said he heard the voice. God will respond to a sincere seeker. In the kingdom, it is a very narrow door. Now, he'll, he don't have to fix yourself up, but you got to be willing to surrender everything that's messing you up.
So next night he's on his bed and he says to God, fine God, I'll surrender all. And God goes, deal. He became born again that night. God does not negotiate with you. Biblical faith is what takes you out of yourself and it's a positioning of your heart where it comes out of your mouth and you say, God, I surrender all and I'm willing to put everything that I am inside of what you said is true. Here's the other part about biblical faith that's really important. Biblical faith can only rest on God's revelation of himself. This is not America. You do not get to choose the Jesus you want to serve. What do I mean by that? Now, it was very common. I've had people tell me, like, well, I love Jesus. You know, I want to serve Jesus with all my heart. But they are involved in, a, in immoral acts that they know is completely contrary to Scripture, and they want to tell me that Jesus loves them in that place. Now, Jesus will love the hell out of you, but you don't get to keep your stuff. You don't negotiate the terms of the kingdom. That's why he says it's a narrow road. The beautiful thing is, though, the faith that we need to get into the kingdom, he gives you as a gift. Can't, like, this is a really good kingdom. He goes, hey, you got to surrender all. I'll, I'll help you surrender. All you got to do is make the choice to say yes. And here's the gift of faith that you need to get in. Pretty good thing. Pretty good way. Here's what it says. You still with me? I know you didn't come on a Friday night for a sermonette. <laughs> Hebrews 12. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God is the source. Ephesians 2. For by grace... You've been saved. The best definition of grace I know is God's overwhelming desire to treat people as though they've never sinned. That's good news. That's good news. You've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has preordained that we should walk therein. Here's some good news about great, uh, faith. Faith is a place of divine exchange and conversion. Faith brings you into the freedom of no longer being governed by the five senses, but from the mind of Christ. Faith anchors you in the superior world of the kingdom. So now you come in by faith, and now he gives you this gift of faith to access everything you need in the kingdom of God. So God restores that foundational thing that was lost in Adam he restores you into that. He restores you and gives you the ability to trust him for all things. But now, the positioning of your heart of really trusting him in all things is pivotal in the kingdom of God. Look at Matthew, the fifth chapter. Talking about building foundations. And seeing the multitudes, he went up, and when he was seated with his disciples, he came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. So what's the positioning of the kingdom? The poor in spirit, he's not speaking about economic condition there. He's speaking about a positioning of your heart where you begin to live as God intended Adam to live. And that is, God, I need you for everything. The life in the kingdom is Matthew 18. 
because here's the problem. We're all, when you lived in this world, and stop this stuff with, well, they're just really nice. They could be nice. You are completely blind and lost if you're, if you're not born again. Well, they're just nice. I just don't see where God, you're not the one who chooses how this thing works. I mean, what are you, you going to stand, Jesus, they're just, they were just so nice. You know, they helped their partner. You don't know what's going on under the hood there. Some of the nicest people are bad people. Well, he was just so nice. He drove the bus. We didn't know he was molesting kids for 20 years. Maybe he was nice because he was getting something out of it. Sorry, I didn't mean, I, no, I'm not sorry. I just didn't mean to get on that for a minute. But they're just so nice. I, I'm nice to people. I'm not saying be mean to them, but it's just like sometimes we got this distorted view. You're either in or out. Ask somebody, are you born again? Are you a believer? I don't know. I said, that means no. Meet me. You know what happens to the roadrunner? He gets run over. Middle of the road. The, mo- the most frustrated people in the earth are people trying to fit God into the lifestyle they have. It's another part, because this is what it is. If you're going to live by faith, you have to become like a child. Because we've been educated one step short of mental retardation when we were in this world. I'm serious. you got to be completely re-educated in this kingdom. And we're all being delivered of stupidity, hopefully. Grandma did it. Uncle did it. This is how we... None of that measures. I mean, what are we going to do when we stand before God? Well, you know, my sister did it. You know, she taught me how to do this all my life. Okay, you get a pass for that. We didn't know. We didn't... The kingdom of God didn't apply to Alabama. You know... (laughs) Well, you know, I just didn't leave that church because my whole family was there. Oh, so you stayed dead the whole, your whole life because of your family. I mean, you got to think about these. All these cultural stuff does not measure up in the kingdom. So the posture of the kingdom is, you know, you know what I've learned walking with the Lord is I don't need God for the big stuff, for the things I'm believing for, for my, my dreams and all this. He's got all this stuff he's put on my heart. I need him to wake up every morning. And what does that cause us to do? When we see him as the source, here's the other thing. When you see him as the source of all things, it takes off all the pressure that the world puts on you. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? You know, how are we going to, you know, you know, I want to get, you know, I want to do better at my job, you know, this, you know, and, you know, you get to, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I have nothing to prove except to obey God. So you come into the kingdom through surrender, but surrender is a lifestyle in the kingdom. I've learned you got over 20 years of trying to do this God's way. I've learned you have to do this over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because you still got this thing called choice. A perfect man invited the worst destruction on his life. You can choose. That's why I said, choose this day. Here's life, here's death. Get to make it every day. You know what I like to do? I like to, um, I like to take communion almost every week. 
least once a week. I take out my journal, I write it down. I said, today, I'm making a fresh commitment to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. Your voice is my highest standard. Your word is my highest standard. I don't want my lifestyle or, or the word of God to conform to my lifestyle, but bend my lifestyle to conform to everything you say. Oh, and that's where it gets lots of fun. I'm telling you, a lot of frustrated people in the body of Christ. This is where the real adventure starts. Because it, so so what's, a, what's a fruit of living that way? A fruit of living that way, I find, is you'll have a fellowship with God. You'll have a relationship with God. Matthew 22, 36, love the Lord your God. That's another foundational truth. With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You're like, I don't have time. Foundations. You know what I found? When I put God first, he just has a way of putting everything in order in my life. Love God. All your heart. All your soul. All your mind. Intentional fellowship with God. Intentional enjoying the Lord. Intentional finding your good. You know why this is so important too? Because... If you don't find your greatest satisfaction in God, you will find it somewhere else. Even if you're in ministry. You know, like, we have all these pressures, I believe, put on by the enemy. You know, we had low numbers on Sunday. It's like, who called you to do this? Yeah, I, I believe in church growth. But are you going to be fine by who? You know, the greatest thing of knowing is God's the one who called you. And God's the one who, you know, if everyone leaves me tomorrow, I know God called me, just keep going. Will it be hard? Will it be painful? Yeah, just keep trucking along, though. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Let me give one more foundational truth here. When you love God and when you love him and you have intentional fellowship with him, a fruit is that you hear his voice. This is one of these things that I think that we have focused on the voice thing instead of the fellowship thing when it works like this. The voice becomes an outcome of having fellowship with him. All the time, and I, a lot of times, we want you to teach on hearing the voice of God. I said, give me at least three sessions to teach people how to engage God. And they'll all hear his voice by the end of the weekend. Because his voice is a consequence of having a fellowship with God. You know, years ago, I was wrestling my senior year. 12, I don't know, yeah, something like 12,000 people. Atlantic City Convention Center. Eight mats of wrestling. You hear all these voices when you get on that mat. You know whose voice I could hear? My dad's voice. Out of 12,000 people, I could hear my dad's voice. Why? Have relationship with him. And I learned what his voice sounded like. Here's also why that's important. You cannot believe something that you have not heard. 
Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing. But here's something else elementary. The Lord spoke this to me a few weeks ago. Well, let's just repeat that line. Faith cannot come to what has not been heard. Our honor for the word defines what we produce in the earth. Now catch this, because I believe that this is where we'll, we'll pick this up again in the morning. Honor in the elementary opens the door to hear the extraordinary. Honor in the elementary opens us up to hear the extraordinary. Here's, here's why I think this is so important. I believe that we're in a season of supernatural, accelerated revelation given to the people of God. But I believe if we don't position our hearts correctly, if we don't honor the, honor the Lord with very simple things, we won't be positioned to hear the extraordinary. And I believe that God not only has all the solutions you need, he's got all the solutions we need to see regions, churches, nations shaped forever for the glory of God. But I found with many people, it might be as simple as actually going to a local body every Sunday. Like, we're going to change the world. We'll be there every three weeks. <laughs> the only deliverance from this world system is seeking first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. What's the first commandment? And he reminds him, he goes, I'm the God who delivered you out of Egypt. He reminds him, I'm the deliverer. I delivered, that's, what God, that's one of the things God's speaking in the earth right now. I'm the God who'd like to deliver you from everything in this world system. And then he goes, you shall have, that's the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because if you have any other gods before me, I can't do all the other stuff. Love the Lord your God all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That is part one.